0: Hey everybody, this is Perch, and I'm here with Joe, and we have the, the great pleasure of talking to Rachel Pollock today. Um, and uh, this is something we've been looking forward to for a long time. So, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Oh, my pleasure. I've been looking forward to it too. So,
2: great. Glad. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, for for people who um, who are kind of new to Rachel's work, I think. Uh, she had a the, the part where a lot of people in comics, I think, really zero in, and that's that's part, at least part of what we wanted to talk to you about. Is uh, you you took over for in, uh, for Doom Patrol uh, for Vertigo uh, back in the uh, the early '90s. Uh, I think Grant Morris had been working on the title. You come on board. You do a really excellent uh, run of about two years. Is that right?
2: Yes, Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, and then there's a lot of other comic work and fiction work, and we want to talk mm-hmm. to you about all that. But, uh sure.
2: yeah.
3: Yeah, you, you know, um, one of the first things, though, I um, want to dive into, uh, you, you were a, a fan of comics growing up.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm old enough to have been lucky enough that really when I was just starting to read and start to read comics, um, the original Captain Marvel was still available for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just totally fell in love with that, with Captain Marvel Jr., the Marvel family I, mean, I had no idea why it stopped publication. As, you know, when yeah. you're a kid, you have no idea of lawsuits and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and but here's a here's a fun thing that I love to, to tell. So when I was a kid, you know, you don't you do know, somehow don't realize that people make comics. Yeah, because yeah. kids are just there. Yes. And so um, you have no idea that there was different artists. So I would read. Um, Captain Marvel and the Marvel family which looked very similar and then Captain Marvel Jr would have his own know, he had his own book I and mean, he just like a, would have a story in another book you know sure. and he looked totally different and i found this very confusing <laughs> <laughs> yeah you <know>, i not <laughs> figure out why does he looked different you know it's like i love that yeah, and it just comes a different artist but something else about that that it's really it's fascinating. I read something a few years ago that the, the way the artist drew his hairstyle was modeled on. No, yep, yeah, Elvis Presley models his hairstyle on Captain Marvel Jr.
4: <laughs> That's Isn't that all
1: that Famous, like you know, <laughs> pop haircut, brushed back and slick. You yeah. modeled on Captain Marvel Jr. Isn't that great? Uh,
0: I love that. Yeah. I, I love that. People I, I forget about that when they're like when they first come into comics and you're a kid and you you don't. Of course, you don't know the business. We're all too over. Well, I don't know if this is the right statement. We're all too overeducated now. We think too much about the details. We miss the charming part of why this why does the
3: character look different? It's a different comic. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, you you were also a, a fan of Jack Kirby, right?
1: Yes, I I was. If I didn't know Jack Kirby's earlier work that much, um, mm-hmm. I first became associated through Fantastic Four,
2: yeah.
1: and yeah. I love what they were doing, and. I didn't know about all this controversy, you know, who mm-hmm. created those comics and who was the real inspiration and so on. And then when he moved to DC and he was clearly bitter about stuff. Yes. And he did these savage satires on uh, Stan Lee.
0: Yes. And
1: um, who was the guy who worked, the younger writer who wrote all the comics for Stan Lee. He,
0: he was like, wrote, wrote everything. Anyway. Oh, Roy, Roy Thomas, maybe. Is yeah. It. Roy Thomas. That's yeah, what he Thomas, yeah. And,
1: um, and, Kirby did a savage um, satire in, I think, Forever People about it.
3: Yeah, (laughs) Kirby had opinions on Roy Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) yes.
1: But but the thing was that was interesting to me. Well, because the reason I credited Kirby's account of things and people who supported him, because in the Forever People and the New Gods books, you could see all the ideas that had been in Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. Yeah, particularly Galactus was. You know, it was obviously Kirby. the um, so much of that made Fantastic Four so big and incredible was Kirby, obviously. Yeah. And so I just and I totally fell in love with that, and I and I fell in love with the fact that Kirby wrote from deep inside himself. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. He he wasn't calculating what's going to sell. Yeah. And you can see this in the New Gods works because those were so um, raw in a certain sense. Yeah. And th- but my favorite in a certain sense was. In, um, I forget which, uh, I guess it's um, Mr. Miracle. That's right. Mm-hmm. And there's a the storyline in which Mr. Miracle, for some reason, goes to the corporate headquarters of some company. And he's way up on like the 50th floor or something like this. Yes. And he gets challenged. The challenge is to be able to leave the building because he's an escape artist, right? Yeah. And so he thinks, is what a bizarre challenge, you know? And then what happens is that the um, enemy, the villain, Pumps paranoia, paranoia gas into the air system. Yes. And so everyone goes berserk. And so it's a real challenge, Mr. Miracle, not to hurt anyone because they're all innocent victims, but not be pulled apart by these crazy mobs. And I had just been starting work for DC, I think. I think I already was working for DC at that point. Mm-hmm. And I remember their corporate offices were in this beautiful building in Manhattan. Mm. pretty high up. They'd moved from a small one to this <laughs> building. And okay, this is where he got that story. He went to see, when he went for this, He went to their offices and he had this paranoid flash. Yeah. Suppose <laughs> there was some gas in this air conditioning system. And mm. he, the entire building was filled with people being paranoid, crazy, and, and violent. You could, just, you could see where the yeah. stuff came from. Yeah. He, he had yeah. this wonderful story in the Forever People, where the Forever People get captured um, by, I guess it's Desaad. He's yeah. going to mm-hmm. torture them, right? And he takes them to a place called Happyland.
0: Oh, yes, I know this. And Happyland
1: yeah. is Disney World. Yes. Or Disneyland in California, because Kirby lived in California at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and so you just got that Kirby had gone to Disneyland. And he's thought, like, what if this place really was a prison? Yes. You know, <laughs> yeah. some sort of dark, villainous, terrifying prison. And people who were in prison didn't know why no one else, everyone was just laughing and happy-looking. <laughs> I want to see reality. So that's the kind of thing that, you just, that I found so inspirational mm-hmm. that he could write comics from so deep inside himself yeah. and, and not just figure out what's currently fashionable or what the market wants and things like that. And so that's kind of what I was hoping to do with Doom Patrol and some of the other stuff I did too.
3: And you wanted to write for Marvel back in the 70s, didn't you?
1: Oh, that's a funny story, yeah. So... <laughs> I had been working for IBM. Hey, you know, first I dropped out of graduate school. I was a really great dropout. Very bad at dropping out. I didn't drop out (laughs) until I had a master's degree. (laughs) 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 Okay. enough is enough, you know, and I wanted to write. I went back to my parents' house and I said I would drive a taxi so I could, at night, so I could write in the day, and said, no, 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 <laughs> dropping out of graduate school, do something, different. so they taught me to get a job at IBM, which I hated, yeah. so after a year, I thought, I got to get out of here, you know, less than a year, I just got to get out of this place, and so, um, so I applied to write for Marvel, and I really had no idea how the process went, you know, and I had an idea for a character who was based on dreams, and I sort of wrote this- sample script for this character, I had no idea you were supposed to use their characters. Mm. I was very naive. I didn't I didn't look up anything to find out what you do when you apply to write for <laughs> <everybody>. <laughs> There was no internet back then, so at least I could say that for myself. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but you know so they told me that they weren't hiring anybody. Okay, so then I got it. So the next step was I contacted a professor of mine and said, Can you help me? And with his Recommendation help. I got a job teaching freshman English. You know, those kind of jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So there I am teaching at this college. And one night I decided to give a lecture to whoever wanted to come, whatever students wanted to come. And I forget what the lecture was about. Something, you know, symbolic and storytelling, Mm -hmm. usual kind of stuff. And then um, somebody said to me in the question time, he said, how did you come to teach here? I mean, they figured out I wasn't the usual sort of teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, well, I said, I couldn't get a job writing for Marvel Comics. And the place just uproar.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, I kept,
1: at that point, I think I became a legend. You know? yes. <laughs> college teacher who took the job teaching college because she couldn't get a job writing for Marvel Comics. You know,
0: That's awesome.
2: <laughs> so that was, a, that was a fun thing.
0: I would have loved it. When yeah. you... Before I, I loved, I always love the story of your introduction into Doom Patrol because they, <laughs> you're writing the, you're, they, they were they're printing letters of you, oh, as a fan saying, please let me write Doom Patrol.
1: That was a fake. Yeah, no, no. No one one realized it. Yes.
0: (laughs) That's the funny part. What
1: happened was, so I knew Neil Gaiman because we were both in the English science fiction writing scene. And he was just starting to get involved with comics. In fact, I first, I had not known what was happening in comics and and Neil brought these uh, black and whites to show from a work in progress that he just found so incredibly exciting, and it was Alan Moore, and I, I think it might have been the Watchmen, actually. Um, yeah. So I was obviously you know, knocked out by this and talking to Neil, and so I just became interested in the idea of what you could do in comics these days, and I had some thoughts of a graphic novel I wanted to write. And I went to this party, and Neil was there, and Neil introduced me to Stuart Moore, who was editor at yeah. Birdville, really, really wonderful guy. And I mentioned to him my love of Doom Patrol, and Grant Morrison's work and how and great it was. And he said, oh, well, the editor, Tom Pire, is right over there. Why don't you go talk to him? So I go, great. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Tom and talking about how great Doom Patrol is, you know, and what Grant Morrison was doing, which is so phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And anyway, and so I said to him, you know, Doom Patrol, I'm not really looking to write in come, but Doom Patrol was the only one I would really fantasize about writing sometime, if whatever was possible. And Tom said, well, actually, Grant's going to be leaving soon. Would you like to send me a sample script? And I'll see if maybe it would be suitable. So I did that, right? Nice. And he said, this is great. We'll use it for your first issue. And, you know, it was, it was several months away, right? So I'm starting to work on it. So meanwhile, at, back then, they had the letter columns in the back of the comic, the prints, before the computer. And so I wrote a column. I wrote a letter. Didn't tell him I was doing it. You know, I had to hope that he would uh, He would see it, you know? <laughs> anyway, so the letter was like in the voice of this kind of creepy like, you know, fangirl, gee golly whiz. Saying, yes. Oh, gee, gee, Mr. Pyre. she, yeah, Doom Patrol is the coolest thing ever. Grant a genius. Oh, it's so wonderful. I hope he writes it ever and ever. If he gets sick or dies, can I write it?
0: Yeah, it was very good. <laughs> I, I waited for it. it you know? Yeah, it, it was and such it, a good tone. And yeah.
1: then Tom read it. And he just loved it. He called me up immediately. He said, this is just great. He said, why don't you do one of these months? <laughs> <It's so> much- <laughs> and then the last month was said, you got the job, right? Okay, yeah. so I just keep doing this. It's like three months, three or four months. And they get more and more aggressive, more and more extreme. So the next to last one I write, hey, what did I get to write to you, Patrol? You know, you think I'm just a kid, but I have friends. You know, you wouldn't want your head put that stuff down a toilet, would you? You don't want sugar in your gas tank, do you? So the last letter, which is to write in the last episode of Grants, you know, when they announced me, the letter was, oh, gee, gee, Mr. Pyre, I'm so sorry. I got carried away. I'm so, so sorry, Mr. Pyre. I feel so bad. But, you know, the thing is, I told my mom I was doing it, and she told all her friends. And so Tom then writes his response. He says, well, she told her, mom, what could we do? Rachel yeah. Bolling is the new writer at Dude Patrol. <laughs> so then I wrote an article in my grown-up, serious voice about what a genius Grant Morrison is, you know? Yeah. And what a wonderful, amazing thing, um, you know, Doom Patrol, whose Doom Patrol was, and I compared it actually to Jack Kirby mm-hmm. and to Marvel Comics, uh, to Captain Marvel for that matter, actually. Because they, sure. they had that same quality of just complete inspiration from nowhere. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. you know, something deep inside. Anyway. And so I thought this would be obvious, this was the true me, right? Yes. And to this day, there are people who believe <laughs> I got the job by the stupid letters because oh. <laughs> they want to believe made, that's how you can get a job writing a major comic book, just writing letters to the editor. And yeah. this is not just, this is not just like, you know, kids. Oh, sure. I was at another party and there was a guy there, a reporter from the Village Voice, another one from the New Yorker. And they said, so we understand you got the job by writing letters to Letter Column. I went, what? You know? <laughs> and I still have people say that. It's it's amazing. It's the power of a legend.
0: We uh, we have, Joe and I interviewed uh, Richard Case uh, quite some time ago now, but we told we talked a little bit about this story of, of just kind of the, the letter writer and how that introduced you. And I remember in the video we were talking about how it was it was, it was clever. It was it was it was a, mm-hmm. I thought it was a very neat way to to do it, and I I, I love the whole thing, but. Um, after we posted the interview, there was more than one comment and email that we got going. You guys got it wrong. Uh, she actually got the job from writing to the, oh uh, to the letter.
2: That's- <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: Maybe <laughs> Richard, as the artist, funny. doesn't know. But yeah,
2: right. yeah, Yeah. Oh lord,
1: that's amazing! Wow, <laughs>
0: it's still going. Power
1: of a myth, I guess. You know? It, it, you know.
0: I think you're right. I think a lot of people love the idea of, of a fan could kind of write in and and make it. Yeah. That way and uh, yeah, it's uh, a fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I now wonder how many how many uh, increasingly crazy letters have been written to editors. All <laughs> <laughs> the letter the Avengers. This is how we do it. Yeah. Um,
1: you know, I, haven't, I have not looked at recent incarnations of Doom Patrol and any letter columns. So I guess to be online now. Yeah. But usually to see if that's the place where that happens. I would hope so. If it happened it, once yeah. before with Doom Patrol, Something, something i think, okay i'm gonna to try to do what this rachel pollock did you know and <laughs> writing letters to the letter columns.
3: <laughs> you know it's it's to some extent it's worked there have been people who have tweeted out to companies like hey you know who should write this me and um while I, that's probably not the whole story uh that that's a, a part of it but um but yeah so you you got to take over from from grant what did grant get were there any uh directives of things you could or couldn't do
1: only by way of the editor tom pyre mm-hmm. um i have never actually had any personal contact with grant so all i have are suppositions it, it felt to me like that he thought the series should end with him mm-hmm. at least for a while you know yeah. Yeah. that he felt that you know he, he did one long story and it came to a real conclusion which is i, I certainly Felt that way, you know, Mm -hmm. what he did. Um and then but DC liked it and wanted to continue, and I certainly was happy to do it. Mm -hmm. So but but Tom just told me very limited things. You know, he basically said how this how the team ends up. Okay. One of the interesting things was he said that the chief ends up as a head without a body. And this actually was Tom was Taking this too literally, I, th- I get the impression because <laughs> it was based on a story, a, a one off, you know, long, large episode that was written. Um, and and in, indeed, in that particular story, um, the chief, you know, is beheaded, right? And there's his head, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Grant meant that as kind of a joke or, or a dream sequence. And but I guess he told Tom that this is how the chief ends, and Tom told me as a literal thing. So there was that. <laughs> I was told that I could not use um, Crazy Jane. Mm-hmm. That was very important to um, Grant, which is fair enough. I understood that completely. Mm-hmm. And also um, uh, Danny the Street I couldn't use. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's which, um, which was, again, something that Grant felt was a very special thing of his. Yeah. And then otherwise, you know, and I, I saw Dorothy was available and the chief as a head. On some ice cubes, I always had an ice cube all the time. Yeah, I like then, it. Then he was drinking a milkshake, and it would run down his neck. <laughs> to yeah, the, ice cubes.
0: The, the the visuals but, were always incredible yeah. there.
1: And, what about Mancliffe Steele, mm-hmm. um, and then Tom said to me, because so we not going to use Negative Man." I think that was, I guess, I don't know it was off limits. I just thought that story was finished. You yeah, know, for the moment, anyway. So, but but then Tom said, "Well, there has to be someone advantages. Doom yeah. Patrol always has to have someone advantages, which is Negative Man." You know, mm. Trainer, I guess was his name mm-hmm. and so I came up with these as a man and woman in, in bandages mm-hmm. George and Marion and not many people will know where those names come from if, you, if you're if you a fan of old TV from the 50s you might um, remember um, the Thin Man TV series not the original mm-hmm. movies um, Peter Lawford and I Forget the Woman and they were mm-hmm. always making martinis very suave detectives you know. Yes. and, and so that's who George and Marion were they were the ghosts, though. No, I'm not sorry. I'm getting confused. Topper. Topper right. had his ghosts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Topper was a stick-in-the-mud-stuffed shirt kind of guy. And the ghosts, George and Marion, were always like, loosening him up. Yes. Okay. And so that's who George and Marion were. They were based on the ghosts that were. Oh, with nice. And so they represent, they came to represent, for me, um, the people who enjoyed life, who did not let things stop them. Yeah and and then I had to introduce um, Kate Godwin who yeah. had the secret identity name of Coagula for exactly three or four panels yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, think somehow the name got used again later, I can't remember exactly where, I was surprised the fact that I had done that mm-hmm. some, but, but really this the, whole, the name came, so here was her power and it came from having sex with Larry Trainers, I got the sneak Larry Trainers in there once
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know she was a hooker and so she was a Worm was transsexual back then a transsexual woman and she had um was a prostitute mm-hmm. and, and a software engineer yes. and the reason for that was um i knew a lot of trans people back then as i was in that movement and basically those are the two most common professions sure mm-hmm. and it's on class if you were from the working class you're out in the street you tended to be a hooker if you were middle class and a nerd which a lot of them were you tended to be a software engineer Yep. I was at some party once, and um, I met this trans woman, and I said, well, what's what worth you?" She said, oh, I'm an engineer. I said, oh, a software engineer? She said, how did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> everybody is. Anyway, so those are the two. So as a looker part of Kate, she has sex with um, Larry Trainer. Yes. And he has all these alchemical powers, so he imparts to her the ability to, you know, there's a famous alchemical slogan, solidate, coagulate, dissolve, and coagulate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Left hand dissolved, ran hand So that's what her power was. Yeah. But really, her power was self acceptance, yeah. and to not be afraid of being herself, and and not be afraid of the world's judgments of her. When which you know, George and Marion were like that, but for them, it was almost not exactly a caricature. But it was, they were not presented as having overcome anything.
0: But, yeah, yeah. Was arc. It was a journey. It was a good. It was a powerful journey. I think there was a time when uh, Vertigo was doing. Uh, I mean, that was the nature of kind of how it launched. Some really powerful things. Um, yeah. were, <laughs> but they were investing in the effort of the stories they were telling. I, that's oh, yeah. maybe not said very well, but it was. Yeah. It that wasn't. Really, it yeah. wasn't ever cheap. It was never uh, rolled out as a you yeah. know as an intro caption, and then here you go. You're, they they put yeah. work into how it happened. Yeah. Was,
1: it was a it was a great effort. You know. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it, I was so happy to be doing that. You know. Um, Grant's vertigo. Grant's um, Doom Patrol was not vertigo. Vertigo yeah. actually started after he left. And I, so I was one of the very first right. Vertigo writers. You know, I was following Grant. And um, actually, one more thing about George and Marion, And then mm-hmm. Kate. In the, in the episode introduced Kate, it begins with um, George and Marion decide to go for uh, you know a walk in the town. To go into the city. They're living in a suburb. They're actually, they're living in Rhinebeck, where I live. But <laughs> right. they decide to go into the city and have some fun. And um, they invite um, Cliff, Robot Man, and Dorothy, who you know is considers herself horribly ugly because she was just yes. she resembles uh, you know basically an ape, you know, and so she's very upset about this all the time. People make fun of her anyway, and so you know, they said, "You want to come?" And the two of them, you know, say, "No, no, 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 we're going to stay home. We're not, not going to do that." And then one of them, I think it's. Dorothy says to George and Marion, how can you stand it? And they, and they say, stand what? Well, you go out, it's in the city, and like, everyone's staring at you all the time. Everyone's yeah. looking at you, as you're weird, you're a freak, how can you stand it? And so one of them says, well, we figured we have two choices. Either we can hide in the house and not have people stare at us, or we can go out and have a good time. Yeah. That's choice is really easy. So yeah. that sets up the whole idea. Uh, and that's so. Then when Kate comes in and defeats this ridiculous enemy, um, you know, with this um, mm-hmm. codpiece. Uh, yeah. Villain, yeah. Um, they say they say something like you know, I think you're our kind of person. Why don't you come with us? <laughs> you might yes. want to join the Doom patrol. <laughs> so that's how that happened. But so from. Those two figures, and then from Kate, with the setup was the idea that if you stop being ashamed of yourself and stop worrying about who's going to look at you and think you're weird and sick or whatever, then you can have life. You can have, be alive. And otherwise, you just end up always being frightened of what other people think of you. Which, message yeah. of
0: I mean, that's a great, it, it's it's a good message on two levels. I think it, it, fits, um, it fits superhero comics, because the, the idea of these heroes who are doing something bigger than themselves, having... Yeah. Side and, and and rise to the challenge. This is uh, similar of of you know worrying less about external factors and more about yeah. being confident in yourself. And I, I I like I like that. I like the theme that came across. This was really early in your run. You established this very quickly.
1: Um, it was actually it were quite a few episodes before I got to that one.
0: Yeah,
1: and I I was doing things that i i since came, decided to change um, oh. i was completely like hardcore i don't have to explain anything oh. if it's available somewhere in the public you know history of civilization i can do it and people can just find it for themselves
0: okay just, i
1: i was inspired by james joyce one of the most you know greatest avant-garde novels of all time but oh, not the usual inspiration for comic books <laughs> um, so i thought you know i had to actually get out of doing that and um, so there were certain things I thought that were too obscure and too bizarre. Uh, but I was following a lot of stuff that granted was still incomprehensible at times. <laughs> well, <laughs> not, not, yeah. not as extreme as what I was doing, but still, you know, I was that no concession attitude I got from him. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess that the issue of caught may have been a big Thomas soul, soul there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But no, I didn't want to do a single issue story. Because I like the idea of arcs going over four and five issues, you really develop. The yeah. Story. Um but I thought okay, and so I came up with a story that that one and then one or two other ones ended up being, I thought the best, one of, some of the best stuff I did at uh, doing patrol was the two stories.
3: And and con piece was a riff on uh, like the old like what Silver Age Green Arrow kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So Green Arrow, it, that was when I was a kid, again, I was reading these things, and I'm not sure I ever thought about this question, but you know, he had this quiver, right? This little narrow quiver of arrows, mm-hmm. right? And out of that the quiver would come, a huge boxing glove arrow? Yes. <laughs> a rocket <laughs> arrow? You
0: know? Yes, it made no <laughs> sense.
1: A grappling hook arrow? Yeah. And, that, and someone once wrote a letter column and said, how does the green arrow fit all those gigantic arrows into <laughs> his little quiver? And the answer was something like, um, well, that has to be a green arrow secret.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So convenient, yeah.
1: So I just I don't know what made me want to play with that, but I thought of like a villain who has that kind of ridiculous kind of you know, yeah. armory. Um, and yeah. and then because I was dealing with issues of sexuality and self acceptance, I came up with this girl. Well, first I it was just like the idea of a codpiece, you know, mm-hmm. the thing that men used to wear in and times over their groin to make them look like they were a big deal. You know, yeah, um, and you know they were so gigantic they had to contain it in this thing. Anyway, <laughs> I, mean, I thought that would be fun to have that be a. a they can come a back account. any day now. Yeah, yeah,
2: kind, you know, and, Yeah, and, yeah.
3: and um, one interesting thing, since we're talking about villains from, from Doom Patrol, uh, unlike I think a lot of other Doom Patrol run, or really any Doom Patrol run, <laughs> and and most runs of any comic, <laughs> um, you didn't. Go back in the well to basically any of, of Doom Patrol's old villains. Like you didn't bring back like General Amortis or or no. you know Madame Rouge or you know um, the original Brotherhood or Mister Nobody. Like none of none of you went new. Yeah, it, you basically did all new villains or, or, or reinterpretations of. of well, things.
1: I was them by Grand Morrison also. No, you yeah. know the villains I remember are Mister D yeah. You know, nobody for president. I, mm-hmm. just no, nobody for president, which is great. That's so yes. you know? <laughs> and then um, and then the painting that ate Paris, which is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know. But that and now I'm just gonna say something about that for a moment. because it so inspired me. That's so mm-hmm. you, know mm-hmm. that, you know, and Grant had gone to art school. He that's what he studied. He actually studied art rather than writing. In school and so he basically that storyline is all the avant-garde french traditions cycling through it the surrealists and the dadaists and so on Mm -hmm. um and then it it ends with um with dada and then so this painting is just devouring the city of paris Mm -hmm. it's it's modern art is devouring the city of paris and then um and then when the final version is dada which is nothing nothing just empty right and so um but here's what he did that was so incredible. So, the way, you know, so Crazy Jane has been established. The reason for Crazy Jane's, you know, multiple personality split was some sort of horrible abuse from her father. Well, I don't think it was ever specified, but presumably sexual and violent. Yeah. And that's sadly a common story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, but anyway, that's a whole other issue there. Yeah. But for multiple personality. I know some multiple personality people. So it's, it's a powerful issue. But anyway, yeah. but that was the storyline, right? So so then so she goes in into the painting to save Paris, right? And so she has to call out um, the enemy. So mm-hmm. she has to call out, Dada, Dada, Dada. Yeah. And then she does it, but she sinks in this complete fuse state. Because now she's back with her father, Dada. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so brilliant, you know. Yes. The next episode is the one where Cliff is on a subway train in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and the subway train is her. Yeah, and it's yeah. stuck in the Dada tunnel. So I was so inspired by that kind of villain, yes, and that kind of storyline. I want to do that kind of thing. Um, and so the thing about um, copies, well, see, was the opposite of, of basically of. Um, the Doom Patrol, but particularly of um, Kate, yeah, because he was someone who completely his life was dominated by what he thought was sexual rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the basic origin story is he's a kid in high school, and he asks this girl to the prom, and she won't go. And he says, "Why? Why would you go out with me?" And she says, "Um, uh, you she's too small." Yeah, and she walks away, and her friend says to her, "What'd you tell him?" She says, "Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. I just whatever came to mind." Yeah. But for him, this is devastating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He thinks it's an attack on his sexuality. Right. Well, the whole rest of his life, he's trying to He's full of anger about this, right? And he goes to this prostitute, and she said, well, if you're worried about being small, why don't you just wear something? Mm-hmm. And so he invents, oh, I'll wear something, he invents this cannon. Yeah. So he's the example of the person who's wounded by feeling sexually inadequate and rejected, and feeling like a freak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then Kate is the example of the person who um, is a freak, but just deals with it by just being herself, and so that was that for me was the essence of it. But of course, people were getting kind of all worked up about the codpiece thing, um, and you know, people asked. I often get asked, did DC object to the introduction of a transsexual lesbian superhero?" And I said, "No, actually, the thing that they were had concerns with was codpiece,
2: because
1: mm-hmm. that was more graphic. Yeah, right. The other one was conceptual, but." Um, and and the issue, and so, you know, Tom and I, I think, well, I'm pretty sure it was Tom, had to, you know, see, get, had to get permission, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the issue was the cover, really.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. What the pictures on the cover. Um, and so, and so, the, and they actually the a photographic cover. It's amazing. So they have this guy modeling the character, mm-hmm. and then it's like a drawn a cannon on his groin, you know, and these two young women are looking admiringly really down at his cannon. Yeah. <laughs> And so, but, but what DC said was, well, okay, as long as it's not too long. <laughs> <laughs> I want to compromise with public morality, which I
2: just love.
3: No, that's great. Um, yeah, Tom Taggart did some incredible uh, covers like that. Yeah. And then, um, so then after Tom, you worked with uh, Lou Stathis, right? Yes. I mean,
1: yes. Yeah. And Lou, uh, Lou shape me up.
3: Yeah, tell, was, tell us a little was, more about him because um, he passed away far too oh, young. Yeah. And,
1: oh, it was mm-hmm. a terrible loss, yeah. yeah. Um, Lou kind of was the one who said, Look, you know, this is great, you're having lots of fun, but people have to understand what you're doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he like took me to be the task and started making me do more good stuff. Things followed through better. So oh, I really cool. thought that it really came to its full development under Lou's direction. Yeah. Um, and it, with some kind of, then we were, one of the people we worked with, of course, was. Um, Okay, mine's blanking, Joe. Who's the great artist we worked with?
3: Ted McKeever? Ted McKeever. Yeah.
1: Terrible. Okay. And so, but this is an interesting process because I would do a script. I tended to do what I think of a semi full script.
2: Because mm-hmm.
1: my examples actually were Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman and um, Grant Morrison. Yeah. Who each in their own way did basically a panel by panel full mm-hmm. script. So that's what I did. So then I would send this to Ted. He would send back whatever he wanted, basically. You'd <laughs> <laughs> kind of follow it, right? But you know. Some panel I would describe in great detail, would just have a blurred image of somebody. <laughs> <You're> sure. <laughs> and next panel would be what he wanted to do, even much more. So then we would get. So then Lou and I would go over it, and figure we out where we'd have to fill in with dialogue, the stuff that Ted had not made clear in the pictures. Yeah. And that was just that was fine. It was a good process to work. You know.
3: Yeah. And did you uh, you you talk to Ted on the phone for for some of this stuff to work no, out or not
1: much? No. I, I can't remember what contact we had at all. I don't know. I mean, I'm back. We probably had
0: like some email contact, I think. Yeah. This area, I, I, I don't know.
1: Maybe I'm just forgetting something, but I don't remember talking much. Yeah.
0: If, I think people, if, if people struggle today uh, trying to understand that relationship between the writer. And, Great. I think it's changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the editor-writer yeah. kind of relationship and all that stuff. So, But this is fascinating. So you're, you're very limited contact with the artist. Mm-hmm um but your editor is really working with you to kind of yeah. put these together and yeah
1: yeah yeah the editor was definitely the go-between you know lou is definitely the queen that cemented everything um but i mean i was working with the artist in the sense of seeing the work he did mm-hmm. and it, yeah. it took very long to figure out you know with ted how we had to do things
3: what, was uh, it ted's idea to do the full-on like um, i think this was when um, Kate and uh, Robot Man fused together yeah. of just having the big robot dick in in that one panel. Um,
1: you know, I, I'm pretty sure that was Ted, <laughs> but it mm-hmm. might have been me suggesting it. But it yeah. might have been Ted running with something, I suggest, in the in a in small way, shall we say.
3: <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, and
2: yeah. It's a great image. I mean, yeah. It you know.
3: is. And, uh, you, you know, on that too, um, he, he was also the artist on the issue, uh, and, and I thought this issue was really great. I'm blanking on the number, but it was when... Um, robot man ends up accidentally finding out from Georgia marion that uh kate's trans because they assumed he oh, knew yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he confronts her about it and yeah. she delivers that great bit of, of just like well do you consider yourself a man well you you're a robot like mm-hmm. uh,
1: it's more graphic than
3: that you know yeah i know it was yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, he said something like you know you used to have a penis you used to have a dick you know yeah, and yeah. she goes what about you do you have a penis? Do you have a dick? You know, <laughs> <That was laughs> yeah. see cause he, cause he does. He's a robot body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, he had a, if he had a penis, it would be a fake, it would be a steel penis or whatever, you know? Yeah. So, you know, she gets him to see how ridiculous he's being.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But for someone in his position to be basing something on people's biology, particularly.
3: And it's so concise and done. It's that exchange is basically done in one page. Yeah. And, yeah. and I feel like it's something that, uh, uh, people struggle with today in comics because you see people try to tackle this in comics yes. today, and okay. they struggle to tell that in one issue, and, and you do it in uh, yeah. one page.
1: Well, I mean, we'd already established who Kate was, so yeah, we're, yeah. Like, introducing a trans character and then having to deal with that stuff, yeah, and and we also established in a sense that she kind of takes no prisoners. Mm-hmm. Like she, she's not hostile, she's not aggressive, but what she does is she how to say this that she um. She doesn't like feel that she has to defend herself. Right. You know, she doesn't feel like she has to like convince people of anything. Yeah. That's who she is and they and they can just deal with that. That's that's their problem.
0: No, it's, it's very defend. it's it's uh it's to the point. Maybe that's the <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> <laughs> but, I like uh I like the I was thinking before we did this interview, I was trying to, to think about how to kind of frame up this question because it, it's a weird, it's a weird one. It's a hard one. And it's, um, there were so many, I think very kind of powerful, uh, statements and, uh, and, and, characters being used and LGBTQ issues that were addressed. And a lot of this in the, in the early nineties and, and even before in the eighties, there were it's several independent comics that were tackling, uh, this yeah. kind of material and, yeah. and tackling it really well. Uh-huh. And there's a perception today in the last four years or so that nothing was done before. Because I mean,
1: it it's always the case, isn't
2: it? You know, it's just, it,
0: bit, it, it yeah, is. It, it drives me a little nuts. And I, because I feel like not only was it done before, uh, many times, yeah. the, the customer base, the fans were largely accepting of this. I mean, there, there wasn't this big outcry that, that, okay. that you know, no. um, I just, I remember running a shop in the early 90s. We were stocking your book. I remember lots of people coming in to buy it and, and, you know, grants before that. And they were enjoying the stories. It was, it was pretty. There was never, there's, I had never had a company come in and put the comic book on the shelf or, or on the counter and say, well, I can't deal with any of this. This isn't a, this no. isn't a straight white superhero. You got to take it back. Nobody ever did that. No, no. Um, the, the
1: objections we got from my run were not nothing at all about that they're all only about um well the people did object to what they thought was my extreme feminism yeah and some fans thought that um i don't think it was because i was queer or i was writing about queer subjects they just thought that i was somehow putting them down because they were men yeah and fans and i i kind of get that because comic book fans the cliche of them was really insulting Sure. You know, yeah. They were these, you know, overweight nerds who live in their mother's basements. Yeah. And never had a date in their lives, you know, and it's insulting and it's just not true. Of course. No, well. exactly. It's yes.
0: Yeah. And it's almost why I get this, um, this irritation with this way it's framed up today. Like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Before 2015, all the yeah. bad yeah. nerds in the basements, but now, now we're doing something. And now it are woke. <laughs> yeah. It just, it feels very <laughs> to everything. I, I, <laughs>
1: i to tell you, to be, honest, to be fair, you know, last people thought that way in the seventies. For Sure, the yeah. gay liberation, the gay liberation front, and the street demonstrations and Stonewall. You know, there was a movie called Before Stonewall that came out in the eighties, I guess, and it was wonderful. It was beautiful mm-hmm. because it just showed, you know, the powerful, you know, kind of slightly hidden but there, gay life of before Stonewall. Mm-hmm. And some really wonderful stories that came to that. And so, but, you know, I certainly see that now. I mean, you know, we see a comic, some comic will have trans superhero and say, the first ever trans superhero. So, uh, no, no, that's not true. You know, Rachel Collins did it in the 90s. And then um, just recently I read a novel, a thriller, and it said this was the first ever thriller uh, with a trans detective written by a trans woman, trans mm-hmm. detective, and I, well, I ran this up. Nope, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I did it in the mid nineties. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <It> decades <laughs> earlier. I mean, it, it, it's I, 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 on one hand, I, I don't get the obsession of wanting to be first, and it's like we we've got to be first. And then on the other end, you know, as Joe put it well, like you, you very effectively tackled this issue in a page. Yeah. and and meanwhile we're now or not now and this is unfair there's certainly people doing good work it's, it's I'm not saying it's all broken <laughs> but it is uh, it's it's to see something that has to you know engage a marketing machine we've got to do 50 press releases about how this this is the most important thing in the
1: yeah, yeah sure yeah we,
0: it's just it's it seems like we got backwards somehow and I, I, yeah. I do feel for the comic fans who uh, you know, and I, I hear for a lot of them say, "I'm not. I don't really have a side in this culture war." But back in the in the '80s and '90s, I was enjoying this kind of stuff, and so it's very strange for me to now hear that. Uh, you know, I, I was wrong somehow, and you know, we got to get rid of me. It, it's just, it's a strange dynamic. that's cropped up.
2: Yeah, I,
1: that, that to me it just seems like it's something natural. You know, a new generation, you know, sort of takes the barricades and they just want to believe they're the first, and no one's ever done it before sure yeah and we thought that we we're in the 70s and 80s you know so it's like, I, yeah, I, don't, I, don't know. I like that
0: I like, I mean, that's yeah. a good
3: perspective it is it is a cycle yeah
0: sure.
3: yeah yeah you know and um, a- another interesting thing too for for all of the uh, press releases you see today for all of those kind of announcements where they're like we're finally gonna have a, yeah. a, a trans superhero or some kind of other <laughs> queer hero yeah, or something yeah. like that for all of that to this day, you are the only openly trans writer to get a run on a main book at the cuz you got to write uh new gods
2: oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. so i've everyone else like um uh what was it um and this is not to Uh, Mm -hmm. disparage the work of other people you you know like caitlin r kiernan's uh work at dc was exclusively at vertigo
2: yeah
3: uh lila sturgis did you know great work she wasn't out at the time and and she was brought in usually to close out runs Mm -hmm. or close out main runs or like a specialty yeah
2: yeah or Or,
3: or she did a lot of stuff at uh, vertigo um you know which again not taking anything away from that i love lila she's she's wonderful and then um you know same thing with uh you know people like mags they've done uh well she's done uh mini series she's done stuff with like you know a young animal uh one shots Mm -hmm. two people they roll it out and act like it's they're being big and progressive and this is a big feat but they have the yeah, the, the companies, not the yeah. not the creators, of course. No, no, it's the all companies, people. yeah. The companies and the people doing the press releases and the and the reporting on this. And to this day, almost like yeah, over 25 years ago, I think or about 25 years ago at this point, you are still the only openly <laughs> trans writer at either Marvel or DC <laughs> to write a run on their main lines.
1: Yeah, I one of their main traditional st- characters and storylines yeah yeah new gods is you know a real specialty that came from Tom Pyre also tom had been commissioned to do a yeah. new gods and he said when well, rachel do it with me yeah. and that was great and then he dropped out and i did it by myself
3: yeah and um i think i was it crystal frazier is doing um a- and uh, she's she's openly trans writer, but that's a mini series that's following up uh the immortal hulk so
2: oh really okay that's cool yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs>
3: Yeah, Gamma Flight. Yeah, uh, with uh, co-writing it with Al Ewing, and, and again, that's cool, and this is great, and this should be celebrated. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy that it's still. They did something that years ago, twenty-five years ago, yeah. that was you know was an, an actual run because you wrote like eleven issues of that.
2: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. That was a year. Yeah,
1: yeah. That was, uh, like, yeah, that was interesting to write a mainstream comic at that time. Yeah, because I had no control over the art. I had a, mm. the artist that they chose, and I hated it. I hated the art. Mm. Yeah. it was all this ridiculous, deformed women's bodies. You know, these, <laughs> Joe, you know tiny five-inch waist and gigantic butts and gigantic breasts, and somehow <laughs> both were sticking out at the reader at the same time. <laughs>
0: yeah. so, no, it was it, those, those were early experimentations in three D on the page. That's what was. was no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. the,
2: well, I'll
1: tell you something. About what you were saying, what Joe was saying.
0: Yeah.
2: There
1: are one group of people who do remember that, and that's um, queer people who want to write comics, yeah. particularly young trans people who want to write comics, and they know Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't really – I don't know how much of them know about the new gods, but Doom Patrol, you know, I, I thought we'd kind of forgotten years ago. And, yeah. you know, and then um, I was asked to be one of the uh, main speakers at a um, congress on – Uh, Transgender Literature in Canada. Mm -hmm. really wonderful people there. And again, I thought, well, you know, who remembers me? I did some articles in the 90s, which had a big impact, but, you know, it was long ago, and some other stuff, you know. And I get there, and it turns out that I was a hero to this whole generation of young trans um, comics writers and artists. And that was a really wonderful experience. I got to talk about doing that, and doing patrol, and what it meant, and but it was just very exciting to have that recognition. I had no idea this was happening. This whole, whole generation of people.
0: I, I uh, speaking of new gods. So, so first, I I loved your Doom Patrol work um, for sure. I, but and you you kind of mentioned it, You know, it, the, the the art, art issues aside, uh, what what was the. For people who are thinking, what what was the critical difference between Vertigo and, you know, you come out of this now, you've got Superman as a character you're you're putting on the page. And I
1: was so excited about Superman. I guess I able to write Superman just for a couple of pages or so. That was just great, yeah. you know? Yeah. The origin of everything, yeah. Um, well, you know, you had to have more action oriented. Yeah. You had the same level of social commentary and things like that. It had to be somewhat more accessible, obviously, than just a wild, surreal type of set to be doing Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my focus in writing New Gods was to try to remember what, what, what Kirby was doing was doing something very real. Because mm-hmm. most version of New Gods since Kirby had just been like, you know, um, superheroes on steroids. Yeah. Even more superhero than the superheroes. But for Kirby, they were, they were gods. They were not just superheroes. So I really tried to focus on that and what were the god issues between them.
0: There's a lot of people who remember this run fondly. I, I know that um, I, it's, it's one of those pieces where I think that uh, the new gods and kind of these characters and everything that uh, was going on at the time, I think there's a feeling that has been underserved uh, over the years. It, you know, they, they kind of experiment with it, but then they yeah. kind of lean back on the, you know, the, the classic characters or the, you know, the, 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 the bread and butter, I guess, of the company. Yeah. yeah. Um, but your run comes up quite a bit, actually. A lot, you know, of uh, being something people really remember, and, and they like kind of that spirit. So it's uh... –
1: I'll tell, I tell you a storyline I really want to do. Clearly, so, you know, the whole thing about um, Orion is the son of um, Darkseid. He's raised by high Father. So he's like both sides, right? He's like the good and the evil sides, you know? And he has two faces. He has like this, this beautiful, you know, face with the new god side and then his twisted, nasty face with yes. the um, dark side. The dark side <laughs> anyway um, dark side, yeah. and so I had this idea that he would not only take over both planets you know and rule both of them but he would then have Two-Face as his chief, chief advisor yes. so he would bring Two-Face up from Earth and have him be his advisor I thought that would just be such a great thing to do yeah, yeah, person in the universe who knew understood him <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and would be this Earth the super villain you know but I didn't get to get there because it will Yeah. And it ends it basically because, as I understand it, John Byrne wanted to do it. Yeah, like, no, he after, took over
3: immediately. Yeah, after.
1: and he just, you know, and so what John Byrne wanted, John Byrne got at that time. Yeah. Uh, which I understand, you know, was DC was a commercial business and he was a big star, so why not? Yeah. But, you
2: know, I, know start, I, I,
1: like, I like to joke that if um, I would have quit in process if they hadn't fired me. Yeah, <laughs> I really had a problem with some of the art and the, the way they yeah. portrayed women. And I I did not like my name on a comic that was showing women that way.
0: Yeah, it was very well. I mean, it, it was a it was right in a category where that was all the art. I mean, not not all of it, but I mean, there was there was very much a yeah house style or or there was a, there yeah. a, it, it, that's that's maybe more most memorable as, as you look at a lot of those pages. And I mean, even. Um, I mean, the artist has gone on to change the style quite a bit in, in you know, today it, it's yeah. like everybody was being funneled into this same kind of style of work. It was, uh, yeah. Yeah. but then you did some work with Keith Giffen as well, I think on there. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keith was Keith, always, I, yeah. you know,
1: and he was a person. He did not do. I think DC Comics did more full script, and Marvel did, of course, you know, the the just rough, rough outline, and the artist does the breakdown and so on. And Keith was a Marvel person, so in that sense, so he just you know he didn't want to have me do it panel by panel, and so he just I sent him basically you know a rough several pages, do what you want here, do what you want here, and he came up with such great ideas. Yeah, uh, which that was my favorite issue, one of my favorite issues. Like,
0: yeah, it yeah. definitely, it, it felt like it fit the story at that point, yeah. like writing and yeah. art was actually coming together to, yeah, you know, much, yeah. to visualize what you were saying. Um, yeah, the, the very 90s, uh, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was the 90s, and I, yeah. I don't mean wave yeah. the side. it's like, the, the, the most memorable thing you can say about this is there were 40 other comics that month that looked exactly like this. So, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, at one point, Newhouse introduced a character based on the goddess um, Athena from Greece. Mm-hmm. And Athena is, you know, she's kind of sexless. She's a warring intellect, and she's very pure, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so and I, my character called Atene, which is really the Greek pronunciation of, of her name. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I described her to the artist. As I said, um, she's tall and thin, and she, you know, has, mm-hmm. you know, very flat-chested <laughs> and, um, and skinny, yeah. and she's the kind of person who was raised in a nunnery And um, she's covered in head to toe and, you know, believes in reading philosophy for fun or something like that. I'm going to make it really extreme, right? A warrior archer. uh, So I get back this hot babe in a torn (laughs) tunic. (laughs)
3: <laughs> well that's the kind of people were going to the library back then
1: yeah, so, right exactly so yeah, yeah you
3: know, no yeah. and um you also got to work with um i think uh it was mike allred's first dc work on uh brother his power first, of the first geek right, yeah
1: it was his first work yeah that was great too
3: interesting artist yeah yeah what, what inspired that story for you
1: um I'm trying to remember if I said, I don't think I said it once I not when I think that DC said, would you like to do a one shot of this character? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jack Kirby invented it as this weird idea of this, like, you know, his his idea of engaging the hippies. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he was an older generation. They were kind of alien to him. And then um, Neil developed it. And Neil was riffing on Alan Moore's idea of everything having an elemental. Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, so, for Neil, uh, Brother Power um, was the doll elemental. Oh,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: okay. So, he was all dolls. So, I would think that. But then, the geek thing, the term geek um, comes from carnivals. Right. And the geek was, technically, the geek was someone who bit the head off chickens to mm-hmm. freak people out. You know, eh, 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 yeah. you know? And kind of disgusting. Yeah. yeah, very disgusting. And, and obviously, the geek was often obviously someone who was perhaps, you know, uh, mentally backward in some way or some other kind of way that didn't fit in and they say hey, you're doing this you know mm-hmm. so to me it then became about abuse yeah. people were being abused this, this, was, this was the issue I was saying to Joe recently that pretty much everything I did in comics there was a real issue there yeah that I was looking at and trying to deal with, you know, in a very strong story, I thought. And so that was what that storyline was about. And it was even more than him. It was demonstrated um, by this young woman that he becomes friendly with. Mm -hmm. And she's an abuse survivor and she's a prostitute. And she's with other women in that situation. And they're like trying to form a covenant of wishes to reclaim their power. Um, And in the moment, someone called himself Dr. Abuse. Mm -hmm. And he was this, you know, very powerful mind control kind of person, and he was inspired by this amazing story that a friend of mine in London told me back in the I guess around seventy one or so. And so she told me about um, this man. and He was a high up uh, person in the Conservative Party, and my friend said, "You know, if I told you his name, you would know who he was immediately. He was that well known." And he was famous for hiring rent boys. Oh, okay. as they would call young male prostitutes, back yeah. in, maybe still do. And so what he did, and so, the, so one of these young men was hired, right? And he goes there, and after he says, you know, my friend's speaking of a day or two later. So what, what was the lag? And he said, well, um, he didn't touch me. We didn't mm-hmm. have sex of any kind. We had dinner. It was a beautiful dinner and really nice wine. And at the end of it, he, and all he always did was talk to me. The young the guy said, you know, and at the end, he said, um, he showed me this bowl of diamonds, obviously really good sized diamonds. I said, take one. Yeah, that's your fee, you know? And so the, the kid took it. And, and then he said to my friend, he said, I hope I never, ever, ever do that again. He said it was the worst experience he ever had in his life. Because this man could bore into anyone's basically all their weaknesses, their fears, their right. self-hate, and just talk to them and just stir it up so they just wanted to kill themselves. Oh, my God. And you could, you know, <laughs> you just, you, this kid had just stagger out of there, you know? And so that was – I just wanted to write that character, and that became the villain.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Power that's story. great.
1: Doctor <laughs> abuse,
2: mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, wow.
1: I could reduce anyone into that terrible state.
2: Yeah, I. I
3: <laughs>
1: and then recently, I, when the Trump administration, I thought of reviving that character, um, mm-hmm. and having it be the President President Trump.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You, know? you know, Dr. Busey's morph is now the president of the United States.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm still struck by it. I just, um, and again, for all these stories, there's uh, there's so much work that's going into them that you're putting in to to clarify the characters. There's no shorthand. There's no. Um, you know, there's no caption descriptions. You're, you're making yeah. people, uh, you're 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 selling your concept by defining it and and showing the beats and showing how things get there and, and and making making your point. And it's it's more work. I mean, I think it takes a more talented person to do it, but it's it's it then lasts. I mean, they, you know, Joe and I hear uh, when we do uh, various kind of wrap ups, people reference Brother Power of the Geek and that story. It's on people's minds now. 20, almost 25 years later.
2: Yeah. Wow. And
0: yeah. yeah. And it, and it's, it's, uh, it's very impressive. Just you're, you're putting in the, you put in the work and I, let's circle all the way back to the beginning. But when you're talking about Kirby and kind of drawing inspiration from things, yeah, yeah, it's, it's as if, um, and I think maybe the same, yeah, not maybe I think the same thing's true of yourself. It, it just feels like you're, uh, you're always thinking. So you're experiencing yeah, the true. world, you're looking at things, and then you're always thinking, how is this going to be a novel? How is this going to be a comic or it's, yeah. it's, it comes naturally, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I read so widely, usually mythology and fantasy, but literary work you know, as well, sometimes experimental work, all sorts of things, poetry. And I do tend to not say, okay, how am I going to use that? But I t- it's, it's in there in this kind of storehouse of possibilities yeah. of things that, yeah, it's sometimes definitely, like, oh, wow, this would make a great story, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah. transferred to transfer, transfer, whatever I'm doing at the time. It, your, your work never felt cheap. It always felt earned. It, Thank it you. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. What was interesting was something like Brother Power and Tomahawk and and obviously in Doom Patrol, the one issue ep, uh, the one epi- episode storylines. Well, because they did, you have to do it all in one story. Because, mm-hmm. you know, basically in Doom Patrol, there was a whole build-up of, you know, Hates reveal, we learned just a little bit about it, we learned more about it, and then we do Eclipse reactions to her, and it goes over a lot of issues.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. The one issue stories, you have to do everything in one story, and that that's the kind of fascinating thing to do.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Tough, and, and you also um, you you finally got to I, I think work directly with Stewart uh, on um, Timebreakers.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that was a great thing to do. Yeah.
3: So so how did that come about?
1: Well, Stewart was starting a new line, and it was a science fiction line. Mm-hmm. It was obviously a kind of offshoot of Vertigo, hoping to mm-hmm. attract some of the same audiences for the some you know adult kind of writing and and yeah. art. Um, but it was going to be science fiction, not fantasy and horror. Yeah, I think Vertigo's original impulse was horror, actually, but then branched out into fantasy. Um, So, but Stuart and so Stuart approached me and said, you know, um, you know, would you like to do science? You know, I was a science fiction writer, and I've been fascinated for years, and still am fascinated by time travel stories. I love time travel stories, Mm -hmm. and the idea of time paradoxes—you know, changing the past—and so what came to mind was, in almost all time travel stories, when there's a series. There's a recent television show about this. So the time travelers have to go back into the past to clean up a paradox. So mm-hmm. the vote often has gone back and made a paradox. You know, um, like what happens if you kill President Lincoln before he finishes the Civil War, something like that. You know, yes. how will the future be changed? So the heroes go back in time to stop this from happening. So things have to. So history has to be preserved, right? Mm-hmm. So my idea was that the universe runs on time paradoxes, on possibilities. So not just changing something that would different, but making things impossible. Yes. The things that the energy just doesn't click, it doesn't work. Yeah. And so so the time break is, that's what they do. They go back in time and sometimes forward in time too, to create paradoxes that can't be explained. Mm-hmm. Because that's what keeps the universe alive instead of just a clockwork machine. Mm-hmm. And so I had a great time doing that and coming up with the ultimate paradox uh, at the end of it, which which was ultimately because if you accept it, then history becomes impossible. But as soon as history becomes impossible, then the paradox is gone. Right, yeah. And then it's it's okay. And it just swings back and forth in this extreme way. And I was inspired by this amazing time travel story called Cryptozoic by Brian Aldiss back in the 80s, I guess, in England. Aldiss was an amazing writer. He came out of this sort of classical science fiction writing, but then really took it into new places when the opportunity came up. So Cryptozoic is about a time traveler who travels back to the time of the dinosaurs. And there were two possible understandings of the story. One is that this is an account of a time traveler's experience. The other is, this is a psychotic, imagining being a time traveler.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And just as it seems convincing that, okay, this is actually a time traveler, and people are assuming he's psychotic, something happens, something is thrown at you, the reader, that, oh, no, wait, no, way, actually is psychotic. Oh, okay. the time is a fantasy. But as soon as you accept that, something happens. So I love that idea, like, the swinging back and forth, that each thing makes the other side impossible. And that was the whole point of that timebreaker story. But it was—it was just fun to do.
3: Nice, and it was you, of fun to do. And you also worked on the uh, Vertigo Tarot deck, right?
1: Yeah, that was an interesting idea. Um, Sharon, can not remember her last name right now? Katua. Sharon Katua. She was an editor at Vertigo, and she was a tarot fan. Mm-hmm. She said, so she approached Karen Berger editor, and said, "Hey, you know, there's enough characters here to make a tarot deck." Yeah let's do a vertigo tarot deck. And mm-hmm. Karen liked the idea, so she talked with um, Neil, and Neil liked it a lot, and said, okay, we'll bring in Rachel, because mm-hmm. Neil really liked that I was a tarot person. And so um, the four of us had a conference in a weekend in a hotel in Manhattan, which was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And we um, just, just basically we decided, in the so-called major arcana, of the 22 Trump, with titles like magician, mm-hmm. high priestess, et cetera, which characters those would be and what moments in the storylines. Yeah. And so, um, you know, Neil and Karen wanted to be more Sam and everything else, and I kind of got that because that was a big seller. But I thought we should honor the other characters as well, so I managed to get the Doom Patrol card. The Tower was yep. the Tower of um, Babel and Doom Patrol stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then, um, so Neil's long-term partner. Okay, mind blanking. Uh,
0: yes, Dave McKean, of course. Like,
1: yeah. 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 So you know, Dave is a brilliant artist. It's just. Incredible yeah. work. And so he did the um, minor kind of the four suits: um, mm-hmm. wands, cups, swords, and pentacles, and mm-hmm. so that was all him. But I, I gave him some guidelines of ideas mm-hmm. of what they were about. But he did this amazing, electro, you know, computer art. Just a really great computer artist. And and then um, and I wrote the book, and the book was fun. And um, yeah. Dave laid out the book, which made it very difficult to read because the book was a work of art. Yes, it had a yeah. page, <laughs> and then on the page, the page would be basically. 40% blank space. Dave <laughs> yes. had the word set into like a, a figure of a body yes. or something like this. It's beautiful to look at, but oh, yeah. it made the type very small.
0: It, it, it,
2: uh, that,
1: that was great I, working I, with him. He's such a brilliant artist. Oh, yeah. He
0: was amazing. I, we sold so many of those. I was meaning to grab it. I, I've, I've got I've got the copy. I mean, it was, it was a weird um, piece of merchandise. Cause I remember it sold very, very well. Yeah, and It sold to people who had no idea what Tara was. I, I remember a lot of people bought it for, you know, for the art or for Neil or, you know, the kind yeah. of aspects of it. And, um, I just remember there being so much confusion over what, wait, what did I buy exactly? It's great art, but what, what am I supposed <laughs> to do? This? And, yeah. oh, the, book, then,
1: yeah, oh, the book gave a little bit of What tarot cards are about. Yes.
0: So yes. The book yeah. helped. But then yeah. there again, I'm, I, you're, you're bringing back memories of people going, how How am I supposed to read this? This is really <laughs> uncomfortable to read. I, uh, I think yeah, I saw yeah. a lot of people in the library to, to research tarot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: um, I've met tarotists, tarot people. And that's the only deck they use. I don't know if they mm-hmm. came through Vertigo Comics, and, yeah. and that's how they came to the deck, but that's the deck they used, yeah.
3: yeah. And, um, you know, go, going back to Doom Patrol, it ended at um, issue 87. Uh, there were a lot of Kyle Baker covers by the end of that. Yeah, um, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, w- which were great. Uh, Ted McKeever, I think, was basically on the last, like, year straight. I yeah, don't think there yeah. were really any fill-ins.
1: We know, we had... We, no, we had um, at least I can't remember what the single issue stories were. Yeah. But we couldn't have the false memory was pretty late. So it had to be. A yeah. Late, you
3: know? yeah. It possibly
1: so, yeah. also bootleg like steel might've been during Ted's run too.
3: Yeah. Well, um, you know, tell us a, bit, a little bit about the false memory. Cause that was an interesting character.
1: Yeah. That was a character. I mean, it to very early actually. Yeah. Um it was a sort of side villain in one of the very earliest storylines, possibly the very first storyline. Mm-hmm. And then, um, when, again, I was asked to do a single issue, I came up with that idea of having that character come back and, and be tempting the Doom Patrol into a kind of fugue state of separation from reality by offering them these great fantasies of, of memories they would have loved to have had.
2: Yeah.
1: And then Kate, however, was the exception because um, her memories were terrible from childhood. Yeah. And so there was no attractive false memory. And so this yeah. put at odds with the rest of the team that she was dealing with painful false memories, yeah. of, you know, of the abuse having conquered her, rather than her overcoming it as she did in real life, and so that was interesting to have that those two kinds of energies against each other, yeah, everyone right. else wanting to embrace the false memories and Kate's having to overcome them.
3: It's it's kind of like it, it's different, um, but yeah. it's like a different take on something like um, Alan Moore's whatever uh, Alan Moore's uh, for the man who has everything, mm. um, where you, you know uh, Mongol. Uh, trap Superman and, and he thinks he's gonna uh keep Superman yeah. asleep in a, a dream mm. uh giving him everything he wanted by having yeah. Krypton still being around but um, it turns yeah. out to be awful and mm. Superman's able to wake up because of how terrible that reality would have been oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It was wonderful Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. That, that was a, a great one but <laughs> yeah, that, and then one of the uh, aspects of your run that um, you see written about all all the time, in terms of whenever people reference your run, they talk about the uh, Teresius War. Mm-hmm. And uh, could, could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I want to say one thing about the false memory for a second, too. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah.
1: So, one of the things about that uh, is that was a big issue at the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, people were going through a lot of things around that. All these people who were in therapy and supposedly all these memories are coming back that never actually happened. Um, mm. People who were going to jail for things that didn't ha- ever occur. And so that was a big issue, what was real and what was not real. Yeah. Where if people said they remembered something that they thought they never remembered, all of a sudden they remembered something. Was it actual or were they just making something up and thinking it was a memory? So I was really, again, dealing with an actual subject at the time. Yeah. Um, things, of course, also an issue of... Um, You know, how do we how do we allow ourselves to change Mm. and not get locked into one kind of being? Mm -hmm. How do we constantly open up to change? And so, I came up with the idea of Tiresias, who's a character in Greek mythology, Mm. um, who changes is a shepherd, and he sees um, two snakes copulating. And he, he either kills one or he throws his he, – he separates them with his stick, his shepherd's staff. And Zap is turned into a woman.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then seven years later, she sees the same thing, and she does something and she's turned back into a man. Mm-hmm. So now we have a person who's seen both sides in the actual world. And then um, and then there's this silly kind of storyline, this myth, that Zeus mm-hmm. and Herra are fighting over who has, you know, the better of it in sex. mm mm-hmm. And they're not bragging; they're trying to get one up on the other one. Yes. and you're the one you get all you get all the pleasure. Mm-hmm. You know? So they say, "Okay, we're going to ask the only creature who knows both." Yes. Mm-hmm. So they bring to you and they say, "Which is it?" You know, and Teresa says, um, "If sex was divided into ten parts of pleasure, the woman has nine, the man has one." <laughs> so you think the hero would say, "Yay!" But it's the opposite. Because yeah. each time kind to of get the, over oh, the other one, they you, you get all the pleasure. And so she's so fierce, she strikes Thereseus blind, and there's this power of inner sight. Well, this, yeah. of course, is just nonsense. You know? mm-hmm. and this is what's, you know, what's called a cover story um, for you know, the ancient shamanic idea of two things. First of all, inner sight being more powerful than outer sight. But also, um, many shamans change sex. And it's not something that they plan on doing. It's just it's something that. And, but sometimes you know, people who today would be transgender become shamans. So those things are entwined. So I was interested in that. And this was a character, obviously, that would fit well with Kate. Oh. Yeah. But then the other side, So I wanted to follow up on one of Grant's threads that he didn't do much with. what well, these characters called, um, maybe, I think the bill is maybe my term, but some of the idea that there were these villains who were. Building the Tower of Babel mm-hmm. inside in the Pentagon or underneath the Pentagon, something like that. Yeah. So I just took that and really developed it. And so the Tower of Babel, in my mind, became this um, ancient battle between the Tiresias, the Portal of Tiresias, mm-hmm. and the builders.
2: Oh, nice. Okay. And okay. the
1: builders were these people who wanted to fix everything into one category mm-hmm. and without any possibility ever changing. And that was the tower of Babel was for supposedly, yeah. That, you know, and that would overcome. And so in the ancient times, the Tiresias destroyed it, and so now it's coming back. And so and then the and the Tiresias, um he's been imprisoned, and I think it's Kate Friesen, but some something Friesen, to you know. So he joins them, and then to defeat the builders, they have to overcome differences. Yeah. So that was that. Um, Basically, Kate and Cliff joined together and become a Tiresias, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, they're sort of everything combined in one person, yeah. and that's how they were able to defeat this. And if I'd been able to stay on, um, I had to say idea for an offshoot, oh. maybe a single episode thing, or like, you know, or maybe like a five-episode independent mm-hmm. story in which Kate and, um, and uh, Elliot, the Tiresias, uh, travel across America. Mm-hmm. And like all the ways which America is struggling with identity and, yeah. uh, you know, and categories and and isolation and separation and you know you're this group you're that group and, and so it would have been a fun thing to do and I, it's a shame I didn't get to do it. Yeah,
3: you know, speaking of um, you know, it, it ended at issue eighty seven and now uh, Lou Stathis had passed away, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and then the book just um, they just canceled it. You know,
1: it's very odd. I don't remember exactly uh, what happened at the end. I don't remember if someone took over. I was.
3: If yeah, I no was, one took over for yeah. a little bit. Um, yeah, and I, then they I, moved I think it. I, to, know, I,
1: think, I think I'm going to cancel anyway. I think yeah. that Lou died after I had finished what I was doing. I think. I'm not sure now.
3: Yeah. You know. But. Um,
1: I know that yeah. Lou well, was my champion. Yeah. At CC. You know, people there felt, you know, my stories were too strange. They were not accessible enough to the ordinary reader and you know and, and they said we should get rid of Rachel Pollack and um and Lou said no no you know he, he said I think he told me once he said to them flat out he said you know if we're not publishing Rachel Pollock, what are we here for mm, yeah. he said, someone who's really committed to the stories that she's doing whatever, yeah. whatever the market's looking for at the moment and then he left, and then. Um, Again, in my mind, I can't remember the name, is the assistant editor who became editor in chief at Marvel.
3: Axel Alonso, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, he was a great guy, a really good editor, but, you know, he wanted to do stuff that wasn't what I was doing. Yeah, no. Yeah. Was an amicable party. You know, it was just, we, you know, stopped doing stuff that I stopped things up the vertigo. And
3: yeah.
1: I, I, guess, I guess New Gods was after that, I think. Yes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It was. was after that, which is great, you know. Yeah. yeah. No, but, um,. It ended, and then Doom Patrol was one of the first, I think it was one of the first uh, teams that they moved back to the main DC line. Yeah. Because yeah. I think John Acrudi did it first after you. I think there was like a little gap. Yeah. yeah. There's a year, year and a half, I think. Yeah. yeah and then they reintegrated it outside yeah. of Vertigo to just kind of be a, no offense to John Acrudi, but a, a very dull team book. <laughs> um, yeah. You, you know yeah. where they killed uh, uh, Dorothy? Uh, oh, they killed uh, Coagula or Kate Godwin right. off-panel. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Uh, issue nine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. it was a very at that point. It was it was a
0: uh, you know somewhere to fit into not the not the Justice League of the Titans or Suicide Squad, but just kind of all this just this, this yeah. mush of, of teamwork yeah. yeah. at yeah. that yeah. point. Yeah, I'm sure. And I mean, the sales reflected that it didn't. Uh, it didn't catch because it, you know, you, you wiped out all the originality from it, and then, you know, yeah,
3: that sounds way more
0: harsh than I mean it,
3: but no, but um, but that's <laughs> like, and that's not necessarily the creator's fault either. That could have been editorial direction. Sure. That could have yeah. been like, let's sure. let's make Doom Patrol more mainstream, uh, which yeah. is a bad idea. Because <laughs>
1: you know, could think it never was. You know, it was not mainstream originally. Okay, mm-hmm. of right. it, it didn't sell originally either. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was basically it came up the exact same time as the X Men, if I recall. About, yeah, both a couple featured, months before, yeah. Both featured a team head in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Interesting, you know. I don't know if one influenced the other one at all. I have no idea about that. Well, I think it's a big X Men became super popular and Doom Patrol kind of vanished.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's weird how that happened. But um, also, uh, there's a TV show. Yeah, now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so far it hasn't. Uh, mind anything in your run yet? But they, we don't know what season three has in store, and yeah, they, well,
1: but, yeah, they're doing Grant Morrison, so they,
3: really yeah. Cool. Well, they are, but
0: the season three notes, um there's some casting that's going on that's clearly from your run. I think, oh, <laughs> what they're doing in the in the casting notes, there, there's characters that that clearly look like they're coming from your run. So I'm excited yeah. to see that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah I. I have this ridiculous technical problem. I won't bore your listeners, but I can't seem to get the um, TV show. Yeah. So I have to find have someone help me to do that because I, I need to see it, you know,
0: publicly. Well, you have, you know, 5,000 streaming services. And so, <laughs> you know, that's, that's probably... Well,
1: that, the thing is, I, I subscribe to it on my computer and huh. I can't work out how to get it from my computer to my television where I want to watch it. I don't want to watch things on my computer.
0: Yeah. I, I no, just
1: no. like watching TV shows on my computer
0: or movies. I don't blame you there. No, no, not certainly not an unusual problem. I,
1: anyway, I'll figure it out. I got someone else to figure it out, of course. I'll just,
3: yeah, um, no. and um, yeah. So maybe before season three premieres around it, they'll finally collect your run because um, so far it, it, in omnibus format, they've put out the Silver Age run, uh-huh. uh, Paul Kupperberg's run before Grant's, Grant's run, and then they skipped your run and put out John Byrne's run. Yeah, yeah. And there are those are all big stars, you know. No, for for sure. But um, you know, and again, no offense to John Byrne, we suck up enough to John Byrne as a (laughs) as a someone who's contributed to comics. But his run is the least like the show. Mm. I mean, this is mostly. Using the Silver Age, a little bit of Paul's, and then a lot of Grant's stuff.
1: That was my impression of the two of the episodes I, I did actually watch, yeah. Um, yeah, because,
3: yeah. um, you know, obviously, you know, doing um, Rita Farr would be from the Silver Age. Yeah. And um, there there was an episode, at least one, that um, was like a tribute to Paul Copperberg's mm-hmm. uh, run. Yeah. But, um, you know, they, they teased putting out a trade of your stuff, and then they canceled it last minute. Mm. Um, you know that
1: that the sex Men was, was going. I thought that was me. I think that was Grant actually.
3: Yeah, the sex Men were Grant. Yeah. was
1: Grant's parody of the X Men. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. But um, so what, but, yeah. what were they
1: going to have from from my run? Do you remember what who it was or what storyline they were going to do?
0: There, yeah. there's two. I'll, ha- I'll I'll look while we're talking here. But the, in in some of the casting, um, some of the characters. There, there's a few. There's a few. So I'll I'll get it
3: while we're talking yeah. here. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's, um, but yeah, so it hasn't, I mean, it hasn't happened. I guess they're filming season three, if they even started season. I think there's script writing still. I don't think it's gone into,
0: to film production, but it's, or I, you know, it, who knows in the post COVID world, who knows?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: You know, but, um, but yeah, so you never know. So if they haven't started filming yet, it's not too late to, uh, Reach out to Rachel if you're working on the production there. Anyone listening to have uh, Rachel maybe voice a robot or something like that.
1: <laughs> uh, that would be great. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it would you be know, like
1: Kate and I could voice Kate. That would be
3: a lot of fun. Oh yeah, no, um, <laughs> any anything like that, or you know, it's. Um, uh,
1: I don't think I'm, I don't wouldn't I have an acting experience with that, but on the other I mean, hand, it'd be fun to do it. Just you know, the, the little bit part. No, yeah, for mind, sure. No mind, one minds doing some writing, you know.
3: You know, I, I told, uh, what was it? Well, we taught, when we talked to Richard, we kind of said the same thing. Like, can't they get you to just be like a security guard or something and just be like, they went that way. Like, yeah, yeah just, no <laughs> you, well, you know, any, anything thought, like that. Yeah, sure. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, uh, really, uh, not only for fans, but to you personally is, uh, one of the things you're most proud of in comics that, yeah, that you've absolutely. done. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and you know, you're, you're still here. You'd appreciate having, uh, your work in print. It's because it's the fact that it's so hard because people really just have to go and get back issues or get it digitally. The fact that people are willing to go digging and trying to find your run and still reach out to you to this day. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. All the, you know, 25 years later to email you and say this, this had a profound effect or. Uh, I I became such a huge fan that speaks volumes and I I think there obviously would be a market for you know especially something like an omnibus which is a more pristine you know it's like an oversized they tend to have smaller print runs anyway Mm. you know like that that there's there's a market for for people who would want that there's also a completist market people who are looking at their bookshelf and being like "Ah, I got all the other stuff and you know, yeah. there's that hole. I got to fill it in.
1: Yeah, that would be wonderful. It, it, I
3: have
1: a, I have a tower deck next to me, which I always do. And I cut right. the deck while we were talking. And the card is intended to just title is Wealth. Because obviously, this is going to work out.
2: And
0: Perfect. Money, and yeah. No, I, so, I, yeah, for what it's worth, while I was looking it up. Uh, Charlie the doll looks like it's, it's uh, that, that, that character. that oh, really? okay. Okay um and the uh the wild girls uh that were there mm. and okay it does seem like they're casting uh kate um
1: oh great wow so
0: it, it does seem like kate's coming and then I, what i was right of the uh the srs um which which was in season two
1: okay that was yes yeah. yeah
0: so that's actually already already come out and filmed Section uh,
1: major yeah. spirits
0: Yes, yes, that was that um, was an
1: issue. The SRS was the term back then for what's now called gender confirmation surgery. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. It was called sex reassignment surgery. So SRS—that was a little joke on yeah.
0: those letters. It, <laughs> it, it it feels like at least that's quite a bit. So I mean, in a yeah, would that would be eight great. to twelve episodes. There, it feels like season three is going to probably mind quite a bit of run. I would. It sounds like oh, wow, cool. cool. Yeah, Maybe so that trade out. Yeah, know,
1: or, they never told me a word about it. So you know, yeah, yeah, well, that's so,
3: um, unfortunately very common. Yeah, DC
1: because they own the, they own the property. So yeah,
3: yeah but you know, um, this no. is a, a good chance no. for um, yeah. you know anyone at DC listening that uh, you know Rachel would love to watch the episodes that uh, yes, yeah. have her characters in it and sure uh, <laughs> yeah, and would and it would be nice for uh, a lot of collectors to have trades on the business and any physical collection of that run would, would be deeply uh, appreciated, especially for someone like me uh, who would like to just pick up one or two volumes instead of having to go through my box and pull out the individual issues. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You, you, you have a, I mean, both in comics, but also kind of in your books, you have a a large amount of customers and fans who really like your work. Um, I do. And, uh, and a lot of loyal, fan. I mean, the, the thing that kind of strikes you is if you just kind of look online at some of your material, you have, you have people, you have very loyal customers uh, who seem yeah. to really follow you from, from property to property. And uh, that's great. Well, I mean,
1: cool. you know, I have, um, I have 5,000 friends on Facebook. I could have a lot more if I didn't want to pay money to have the whole, you know, yeah. uh, official setup. But, you know, many other thousands of people follow what I do on Facebook. So it would reach people for sure you
3: know and and you're i mean you're still an active writer so i mean if someone yeah. like from dc wanted to reach yeah. out and be like hey season three of doom patrols coming out uh we thought we'd do like a a special comic uh That'd be smart. You, oh, you know i'd
1: just love to i'd love to do something like that yeah
0: yeah you know it, it's uh we did we talked i mean well we, we talk comics and that's notorious people here but i mean um just you know, I, I I mentioned right before we we started recording uh, that I was looking into some of your nonfiction work that you're doing, and and there's just I think you made the the comment that uh, somebody said I've read all your your work, and <laughs> your your response is probably not is that yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would like to. I always fantasize saying no, you haven't. Yes. Of that's very rude. So I just say I said probably not something
2: like that. yeah
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, there's a lot of material out there, and it's, it's, yeah. it's very powerful. I think the, the theme uh, for me always with your work was that you, uh, which we said earlier, um, you, you earn your moments. It's, it's not, nothing yeah. seems casual. Nothing seems like it's, uh, you know, hey, I, I felt like I wanted to write about trans characters, so in this panel, here you go, and we're done. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. you know, you, you help the, the customer and the reader come to understand yeah, yeah. what they're reading. I, I, read I think, you know, I think I,
1: that was part of what Lou kind of really schooled me on, yeah, because yeah, I was doing these things, these sort of sensationalist, surreal villains and stuff. The stuff I liked in in, in um, Grant so much, you
2: know. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, Lou said, "Look, you know, you have to bring the readers along. They have to know what you're getting at. I have to know what these things are about." And that actually made mm-hmm. the stories much stronger. I thought.
0: Oh, absolutely. You you have. Uh, I want to make sure we do. You do have some things coming up. You have some some books or some items you're working on.
1: Yeah, I always work on a bunch of things. So um, I'm, so recently I just had an audio version of my original tarot book, 70 Degrees of Wisdom, which is the thing I'm most famous for mm-hmm. around the yeah. world. And yeah. so that's available as an audio book. I've been listening to it. The woman reading it is terrific, so that's really nice. Yeah. I'm doing a um, new edition of a book called The Forest of Souls, which came out, I guess, like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was always my favorite book about tarot stuff, and it's not a card by card thing. It's more exploring the outer reaches of tarot. I'm oh, very yeah. happy about that. I'm finishing a novella. It doesn't have it published yet because I wanted to have it finished before I sent it out, um, about a, um, a 13 or 14-year-old girl who gets a magic fountain pen in the mail one day. And I discovered that this fountain pen is a very powerful and very dangerous magical object.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's all about her coming to terms with herself and with her family and the idea of power. And that's been a very exciting thing to work with. So I'm looking forward to that very much. Yes. That's called yeah. Ordo Illumina Furiosa. Because the pen has letters on O-L-F. It's an actual pen. time. Nice. Right?
3: Yeah. And, and a lot of publishers now, um, you, you've seen a, a big jump in uh, – you know especially at like Marvel and DC they're looking for writers who are known well beyond comics they're looking at like you know novelists and tv writers and stuff like that and uh, you're 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 a a world renowned and have worldwide recognition for your tarot work yeah and, and you're an Arthur C Clarke award winning novelist yeah multiple yeah 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 <laughs> so just just to remind people if anyone's <laughs> listening Yes, you, you know, um, you, you're you're an incredibly accomplished person. You're, you're you're all you have also been an activist. Um, yeah. mm-hmm, I, I mean, you've you've done a, a great deal and you are you're exactly the kind of person they seem to seek out to mm-hmm. work for them now. And none of your stuff's in print. <laughs> there, was
1: <laughs> story, there was one storyline I really wanted to do it in Doom Patrol I never got to do it mm-hmm. but it was a good thing to do either bringing I guess I couldn't bring back Doom Patrol because other people are doing it sure. but all was some other way and it was basically a tarot themed superhero story
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the idea would be um, it, it would begin with um, this this homeless guy, this tramp, you know, mm-hmm. and he's a fool card, you know, this miserable homeless person, right? Yeah, sure. He finds it's called ATM. So ATM stands for Automatic Tarot Machine. Right. Nice. And so he finds an ATM bank card and he puts it into uh, the slot and it says, um, this left side, it says Automatic Tarot Machine, welcome zero zero the fool. Mm-hmm. And then, so type in your um your key card, your numbers, you know, types mm-hmm. in zero, 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 0001, and that is transformed to the magician. Right. Anytime okay. he needs to do something, he transfers the next, next number of the tarot cards. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my idea of Doomachal, is going to, when he gets to death, he kills them all. Yeah. <laughs> but there's some, some will survive somehow, and still continues to hold it hold it down. And at the end, they get to, card 20, which is the resurrection card and that, that brings everyone comes back to life. And then at the end, um, cool. it was okay. steals the card and puts it mm-hmm. back in and types 0000, zero, zero, zero again, and he's mm-hmm. reduced back to being the homeless
3: fool. Yeah, yes, nice. and that's how they I start. like that.
1: That would would reach my biggest audience in the world.
3: No, that that all would be great. But yeah, I I mean, it it would be nice if if your stuff could be in print so people could see it. It would be nice (laughs) if uh, a lot of other creators like, uh, you know, Maddie Blostein's uh, Death Wish has never been reprinted um, Uh, from Milestone. Uh, Mm -hmm. Nearly all of Caitlin R. Kiernan's uh, The Dreaming uh, she did a, a handful of issues are in a trade but she wrote it for years and wow. nearly that's all incredible. of it's not. That's, in print.
1: Incredible. that's incredible.
3: Yeah. No, that's I, I,
1: that's I, I thought that was a very famous run. Maybe I'm wrong. It, about it,
3: that. it is, but it's, it is. Uh, it's, uh, it's
1: a real choice for being in print
3: some it, 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 It's It yeah. uh, it is
0: a famous run. It's a well-received run. It's just a yeah. very strange choice uh, that you, know, Joe and I have talked about many times before of, of the very odd choices people make of what they reprint. And it, yeah. And I think coming to a conclusion, it's it's not a choice. It's just forgetting what maybe you should do. But but yeah,
2: <laughs> well
1: yeah, I'm, I'm sure that DC is very different from when I worked there. Oh for sure. There's much. It has to be more corporate because now they're in. You know television and movies
0: a t and t that, yeah that,
1: that changes everything you know yeah but so but yeah n b a is deciding everything,
3: <laughs> yeah, which um is all the more reason if they're gonna use your your characters on a, a TV show to uh have your stuff in print uh yeah, even if absolutely. it's absolutely <laughs> just <laughs> for money to We're hurting go soul at this point i think yeah
0: it's uh yeah it's they're
1: gonna do that i mean hopefully now that if they go, maybe they haven't decided finally. But if they really go ahead and do that, then they they probably will because it would make sense. It Would be kind of crazy not to, wouldn't it? Yeah, so it, it would, would be also be
3: nice that. for um, Richard to have the rest of his Absolutely. drawn yeah. issues. It would be nice for Linda Medley and Ted McKeever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you, you know, uh, uh, it would be uh, it would be great for Ted. Uh, a lot of Ted's uh, Ted was that's a whole other conversation. If Ted McKeever was very popular in the mid '90s and. Yeah. DC has reprinted very little of Ted's work. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I guess because the work's kind of strange. I, I, I mean, guess, but it's kind of radical, and so now they want everything to be very mainstream and safe. I suppose. It's, it's, I guess,
3: but he was—he was, he was uh, you know, revolutionary and has a lot of big fans, or, or did, sure. you know, and then it's yeah. strange. Well, I mean,
1: is. I don't—I don't know. I'm not obviously not part of any decisions by DC, of course,
3: or, of course. sure. Of course. But
1: you know, what strikes me is that, like, sometimes you read how, like a a company that's going very mainstream—they mm-hmm. have like a an overall concept, right? And mm-hmm. it's something they—it's something they know is popular. No one make money, but it's outside that concept.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They decide they can't use it because they have to stay always focused on the main overlying thing, overlying theme they're selling for the company. So I could see that being yeah. the case. I mean, I yeah. wouldn't agree with it. Yeah. I would never run a company like that. But I could see how that might be. A corporate decision. Oh, of course. Stephanie's following, but it's not part of what we're doing. You know, for, it's, for it's, it's
0: yeah, absolutely a machine at this point, and um, and yeah. I, I think in many cases it's more opportunistic than thought through. But uh, yeah,
3: and also to make it very clear, so no one misinterprets this, <laughs> none of us are implying that there are just people like you know, like wringing their hands, being like, "We'll never let Rachel Pollock work." <laughs> like, like, it's not, it's it. You know, if it, that'd, be, like, that'd be more fun if it was a case, but no, it would no, be no, more no. fun. But yeah. it's honestly a lot of people who probably you know started working even if they started working there 20 years ago just aren't aware of the run
0: well i, I mean maybe to joe's point and, and rachel I, I again this is awesome just just getting a chance to talk to you i think in many cases stuff like this reminds people that it's there and they yeah. they, they put it out it's, it has happened a few times that yeah. uh, you know it's it and and so maybe these can lead to things but i but i Joe briefly touched on it i mean you you've won very significant awards for your science fiction work for your novels and and uh definitely um, if you haven't had a chance to check out uh, Rachel's books, I would, I would strongly recommend you do so They're They got a lot. You know, I mean, there's, there's magic, there's science, mm-hmm. there's uh, fantasy elements, there's, you know, touched on different religions. And I, I mean, it's just,
3: they're very,
2: mm-hmm.
3: very deep work. Thank you. Yeah, no, it, it's great stuff. And there's also a lot of, um, you know, like we were touching on before there, are you know, um, there, are, you know, trans creators that are getting work now, like Lila Sturgis, Max mm-hmm. Sagio, Crystal Frazier, Cameron Bond villain, uh, Sophie Campbell. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Sophie Campbell recently doing a, a bunch of stuff with the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but she had previously done uh, some Vertigo stuff. I mm-hmm. think she drew issues of House of Mystery. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Daniel, yeah. you mentioned before my novel Unquenchable Fire, which was the Office yeah. of the Work. Yeah, Well, yeah. actually, right now, is a brilliant comics writer who's adapting it to a comic online. Yeah. It's, you know, the writer's name, Joe Carallo, And what I've mm-hmm. seen so far is really wonderful and amazing.
3: So yeah. So we're, excited um, about
1: that.
2: Yeah.
3: we're, we're working on stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, Rachel and I have something else that we can't go into yet, but hopefully we'll have, uh, more information on that soon. Uh um, which well, is
2: very relevant
1: to things we're talking about actually.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. But, um, but yeah, it, it's been exciting. It, it's been, uh, Great, you know, getting to, you know, I was also one of those fans who reached out to Rachel, who after reading Doom Patrol, uh-huh. I was like this was great. Uh, you know, it was from Martha Thomas's because um, mm. I I had talked to like one day I, I was just talking to Martha. I was just like, you know, this is years ago now, but I was just like, you know, everyone talks about Grant Strum, but No one, you know, I, I there's no collection of like, you know, I, I was talking about that. And, and Martha was like, no, it's good. You should read it. Mm-hmm. A- and I went and I read it, and I'm like, "This is uh, amazing! Like, <laughs> why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why aren't oh, we, you talking about that?" Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, well, Rachel, I, I just want to
0: say thank you. I, I you, you gave us a, a, you know, 90 minutes of your time, and well, uh, had and a great time. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, well, well, I'd love to chat with you again soon, sometime. Talk about some of your, yeah. your novels, your nonfiction, your yeah. parlor work. Um, so I did to do it. Anytime. Yeah, we should, we should yeah. definitely go back and do it again. But it, it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, it, you know, check out those comics if you haven't seen them before. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Rachel, thank you again. And, and we hope to talk to you very soon. Okay. Yeah,
3: that would be great. And uh, I hope we get next time we talk to you. It's because they announced that they're finally reprinting your work. So. Yes, Yay. that, was, that yeah. would be great. Yes, okay, <laughs> that would be deal. Okay, well,
1: thanks,
2: guys. Thanks, Perch. Yes. Thanks, Joe.
3: Thank you.